Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, church family. Happy Spring Forward Sunday. Uh, why do we do this time change thing to ourselves? Anybody got an answer for that? I, I think it's time to stand up against time change, don't you? But I do want to say a special welcome if you're here for March break. Um, I'm thinking of some college students in the room, home for March break. Uh, we've got people in this room from British Columbia, from Florida. Uh, we have people who are participating online, I'm sure, who are traveling for March break right now. So if you're watching the service, keep your eyes on the road. Don't watch, you can listen. Uh, but we're so glad to be able to participate together this morning. We are in our second to last week, week nine of a 10-week series through the Gospel of John. And I assured you last week, I realize we're only halfway through the book, but we're coming to the end of the series. We're going to continue through the book as we get into our Easter series. So we are going to go right through the Gospel of John. But we've been talking about these core longings of the human soul, a place to belong, a truth to believe, and the courage to become. The courage to become. Last week, we talked about the blind man, John chapter 9. He followed Jesus' instructions with complete blind faith. All he had to do was go on Jesus' word. That's all he had to go on. He had to go to the southernmost point of the city, to the pool of Shiloh, the pool that means sent. Jesus sent him to the pool that means sent and wash his eyes. And in complete faith, he stepped out and followed Jesus' command. How many people know the first step can often be the hardest? How many people know God doesn't tell you the whole story, he just gives you the next step? Do you ever wish he'd tell you the whole story? I think it would leave us crippled in fear, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yeah, praise God, he shows us the next step. It's always interesting what people will connect with in the sermon time. Usually it's a funny story or illustration. Last week, a lot of people talked about the GPS cutting out in the tunnel system in Boston. And one person even said, I've been there and the same thing happened. Following the voice of the GPS. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, following. Today's bottom line is really a question. Who are you following? Because who you're following is a direct indication of who or what you're becoming. Would you join me as we pray? We'll direct our thoughts towards God's word, John chapter 10 this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. And if not for your word, we would have nothing to stand on today. So God, may it be all about your word, what you have to speak to us through your word this morning. Father, would you remove the other distractions, remove the voices that call for our attention, that call for our devotion. And God, would we be tuned into your voice? Help us to hear you this morning, Father. Not just to hear, but to listen and obey God. Give us the courage to do so, to become what you're calling us to be for your mission and for your glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 10, are you there? Okay, two of you are there. Let's get a few more people there. 
Uh, the words are going to be on screen as well to help you out. We typically preach an English standard version of the Bible. There are many good versions out there. We like the ESV. So if the words on screen or the words I'm reading don't quite match up with your copy of Scripture, it may be a different version. Uh, it may be a great version. We, we like English standard version when it comes to preaching. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, barely, verily. This is truth. Jesus is grabbing our attention here. Truly, truly, I say to you. Well, let's get some context first. I mentioned in John 9, the blind man, right? And at the end of John 9, they kick him out of the synagogue. They, they cast him out. And then Jesus has this conversation with the religious leaders. This is the ongoing conversation with those religious leaders from John 9. Jesus says, verily, verily, I say to you. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. If you're driving down the road and somebody is trying to climb in through an upstairs bedroom window, you might wonder, that seems a little suspicious, doesn't it? If they're not using the front door, what's going on there? You might go and offer to give them a boost. <laughs> but he who opens... He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. First question. Why are we talking about sheep? This is a, a cultural context example where the subject matter doesn't really fit Atlantic Canada in the year of 2023. I, I might be wrong in this, but between here and Truro, I only know of one sheep farm. And when I drive past that sheep farm in Lower Onslow, I don't see a shepherd out in the field keeping watch over the sheep. This isn't necessarily our context in Atlantic Canada in 2023. But in Israel, in Jesus' day, in first century, a nomadic agrarian culture, these people would have understood this to the core. And there are so many little nuances when you understand sheep and shepherding that tie in with what Jesus pictures here. So we got to talk about sheep this morning. Is that all right? I don't know if you woke up this morning thinking, I want to know more about sheep, but you're about to. Uh, sheep were a sign of wealth. You don't just count them to go to sleep, you count them to know how wealthy you are. Uh, just read about Abraham and Job. Sheep were kept as pets. People had special bonds with their sheep. Think of the prophet Nathan's story when he confronts David, the poor man's sheep, and the rich man took it to feed his visitors. And this passage in John 10, where the shepherd knows his sheep by name, calls them by name. That's a special bond with an animal. Sheep were a common animal used in the Old Testament sacrificial system. The first sacrifice was likely a sheep that God killed to clothe Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis 4, Abel, in a similar vein, following God's example, offers a sheep from his flock. Um, sheep, uh, Abraham, 
He's about to sacrifice his son and then God provides the ram. Noah gets off the ark. The first thing he does is sacrifice a sheep. But here's the key. Time and time again throughout scripture, God refers to his people, God refers to the Hebrew people as sheep. As we heard in Psalm chapter 100, verse 3, it said, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Psalm chapter 78, verse 52, he made his own people to go forth like sheep and he guided them in the wilderness like a flock. So God is like a shepherd figure to his people who he refers to as sheep. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Matthew 25, verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations, this is speaking future, and he will separate people, we're talking about people, one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. God refers to his people as sheep, he refers to himself as the shepherd of the sheep, guiding them, sanctifying them, and satisfying them. We are sheep. I don't know if that's a compliment. Have you ever looked a sheep in the eye? Do you wonder if there's anything happening in there? Their eyes don't point straight, do they? It's like, my brother-in-law is a dairy farm and they have one little sheep on the dairy farm. And he's cute, but you know what he does the whole time you're looking at him? He bashes his head into the steel gate over and over and over. That's why his eyes are crooked. Yeah, not so bright. Uh, in middle school, my friend Jordan lived on a sheep farm, and I remember a birthday party. We're there hanging out with all the guys from class, and it's nighttime in the barn. Do you know that sheep sound like human voices? Have you ever thought that? In the dark, with those sheep, it just it sounds like a person belching, or it sounds like a person saying, yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like a human voice, doesn't it? <laughs> Rednecks, yeah. Uh, the Merck Veterinary Manual. I, I have a copy if anybody would like to borrow it. No, I'm just kidding. It says that flock dynamics among sheep are apparent in groups of four or more as evidenced by two things. The willingness to follow a leader or to flee in unison. There you go. Following or fleeing, those are the two major displays of group dynamics other than mating among sheep. Their only defense is to flee from predators or to make sure they're following a really good leader. That's their only defense, those two things. Unless you've seen those fainting goats. <laughs> That's quite a defense, right? The wolf is like, oh good, I didn't feel like running anyway today. Sheep are prey animals. Some males have horns, but most of them look like fluffy cotton pillows with eyes. Not very aggressive, dangerous creatures. An easy target for predators. Uh, again, the Merck Veterinary Manual, I just couldn't put it down this week. It's such good reading. Uh, it also talked about the social dynamics of sheep. Separating a sheep from the flock can cause stress and panic. Isolating a sheep from other sheep can cause severe stress and should be avoided at all cost. And then it said, if you have to do so, you can get a mirror so the dumb little sheep thinks he's got a friend. <laughs> sheep are apparently easily separated. 
If the herd is traveling, I heard one speaker explain that if one of the sheep, if there's a grassy knoll in between it and the other sheep, it can get hopelessly lost. It might as well be on the other side of the planet. When they lose sight of the shepherd of the flock, they're totally defenseless and they go into a complete panic. That's why Jesus' parable is so powerful, leaving the 99 to find the one who is lost and carry it back on his shoulders. Shepherds and flocks were common in Jesus' day. You think of the night that Jesus was born, the shepherds watching their flocks by night. That's the picture that we're reading here. The angel appears and they go with haste to find Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Shepherds will take their flocks out to green pastures during the day because that's the safest time to graze. The shepherd could see the predators coming like David taking out the lion and the bear with his sling. And then at night, the shepherd would lead his flock back to the sheepfold. Do we have that picture of the sheepfold up there to show everybody? Uh, Sheepfold, back in the day, this is potentially what a Jewish sheepfold could have looked like. It was stone stacked in almost a complete circle, and the only opening would be the door. Uh, They would stack it four to six feet high. Sometimes they would put thorns and brambles on top to kind of serve like razor wire. So if an animal thought about climbing over, it would have to climb through that thicket to get over. And then the shepherd would sit in the doorway. At night when the shepherd brought the flock in, he would examine each sheep one by one as it went through the doorway one at a time. And then he would examine them the next morning as they came out, counting the sheep, making sure there was, they were all healthy, there was no signs of blemish or issue. And then at night, if the weather was all right, sometimes they'd have a shelter inside, the shepherd would sleep in the doorway to serve as the gate. So if a wolf wanted to get in or a sheep wanted to get out, it had to step over the shepherd. So the shepherd was like the last line of defense in the sheepfold. So that's what a sheepfold looks like. I want you to keep that picture in mind. Back to John 10. Let's go right back to verse 1. We'll be talking more about sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, stealing sheep. Kind of like robbing a bank in Jesus' day. If sheep are a sign of wealth, and they're all sitting in the sheepfold. Well, that's it's like a bank where you can rob. Verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. Now, who's the gatekeeper? I didn't know. I had to try and figure this out. I, I listened to a few preachers preach this passage. I read a few commentators. And many of them pointed to John the Baptist. Who was John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist is like this prophet, Jesus' cousin, preparing the way for the Lord, making a straight path in the desert. When Jesus arrives, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John's whole purpose was to prepare a people ready for the Lord. So when Jesus arrived and John baptizes him to mark the start of his earthly ministry, it was like John handing over the reins to Jesus. Some of John's own followers became Jesus' disciples. John could be this gatekeeper character of God's people until Jesus arrived and John said, he's the lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world, follow him. So John could be the gatekeeper. Now here's where the rubber really hits the road. Let's get really practical because just talking about sheep probably isn't going to help you tomorrow morning. Verse three, the end of verse three, it says, the sheep 
hear his voice. And this good shepherd, Jesus, he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Do you see a theme being repeated here? The sheep know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They'll flee from him. They don't know the voice of strangers. So get this picture. You have the sheepfold. You have the shepherd. But did you know there were multiple flocks often sharing the same sheepfold? So the shepherds would take the sheep out to pasture by day. They would come back to the sheepfold at night. And potentially there are multiple flocks, multiple shepherds putting all their sheep together in the sheepfold at night. So the next morning, here's the picture. Multiple shepherds come to the sheepfold and they call out to their sheep. Now they'd have a specific call. I tried to find one. There's none that I could really mimic, but you know, like a, like a farmer calling to his animals. So all these shepherds are standing here. I don't know, two, three, four flocks. You got four shepherds. They're saying, okay, here's sheep. Let's go out for the day, go to pasture. And the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Okay, back to the Merck veterinary manual. It says that a sheep has enough cognitive ability to remember a human face for up to two years. So the sheep knows the shepherd's voice. Maybe he knows the shepherd's face. And when those shepherds call to the sheep, the sheep know which shepherd they belong to and they will separate themselves from the other flocks and go to their shepherd and be led out to graze. I'd never seen that picture in this parable that Jesus gives before, but this is apparently the cultural context that these people would have understood. They know the voice of their shepherd. Not just because he's the only shepherd, but because he's their shepherd. He knows them by name. They know his voice. They trust him. There's a relationship there. So you're a sheep. You were built to follow or flee. Those are your two options. Every day there are multiple voices calling out for your attention. From the moment you wake up until the moment you lay your head down and you can, if you can turn your brain off and go to sleep at night, there are endless influences grasping for your devotion, for your affection, like a bunch of shepherds calling you to follow them. So the question is, will you follow the good shepherd? How do you identify the good shepherd? Do you know that we're naturally bent on following the wrong voices? Ephesians chapter 2. Just let me read the first three verses. You were dead in trespasses and sins, <laughs> in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Praise God for the rest of that chapter where it says, but God stepped in. And because of his grace and mercy, we can be saved by faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. Praise God for that. But before that point, your only option was to follow. It kind of smashes that modern mantra of just follow your heart. Right? Man, yeah, it sure is wicked and deceitful, Andy. That's right. 
You know what those voices are like. You know what it's like in your own life, calling for your attention. The alarm calls for your attention an hour earlier than normal. Your kettle whistles for your attention. The microwave beeps until you open the door. I get frustrated with it until I realize, oh yeah, my soup's in there. The dog is whining, scratching at the door until you let him out. The phone is buzzing for your attention. The TV, the radio, they want to bend your ear. Your kids are calling out for your help. The number of emails in your inbox catches your eye. You can't get it out of your mind. You just got to check. The ads on YouTube are catered to you. We were talking about having colds this week. And YouTube started sending us advertisements for Tylenol and Advil. Isn't that interesting? The light on the dash says, get me some gas. The video on your feed says, stop scrolling for a minute while I tell you the number one reason why you can't lose weight. Your coworker says, you got to see this video. You'll never look at processed meat the same way again. And then you realize it's three hours long. Your boss says, I need you to work overtime this weekend. And you want to say, well, you asked me to work overtime the last four weekends. Your mom says, how come you never visit me anymore? That one hits, doesn't it? The promotion ends tonight, so there's a rush to sign up. So you get the discount. It's finally time to unwind, so let's turn on the TV while we scroll on our phones. There are so many voices fighting for our attention, aren't there? Don't you feel like now more than ever before, there are so many voices shouting for your attention and it's gone up at such an astronomical rate. Do you find yourself having to make the decision between which one of your loved ones you can afford time to this week? because of the amount of stuff you have coming in and the amount of emails and the amount of phone calls and the amount of work to be done. You need to watch this. You need to wear this. You need to eat this. You need to do this. You need to think this. Were we ever meant for this much stimuli, this much information, this much connectivity, this much marketing in our lives? I don't want to turn this into a talk about the social dilemma documentary, but do you feel distracted today? How many things are on your mind? I don't want to harp on technology and social media. Technology can be used for such good. Do you know how many more people we've been able to reach because we have these little cameras mounted on the ceiling? Technology is an opportunity to cast the voice of the Good Shepherd even further. I mentioned the YouVersion Bible app reading plan uh, that I was involved in with some of the guys this past week. Do you know that that Bible app tells me every morning, have you read your Bible today? That's a good prompt, isn't it? Our life group, uh, we, have, we have a message group on Facebook, and over the last week, we've been sharing prayer requests on there. And my phone dings, and I look at it and says, oh, so-and-so is praying for such-and-such. That's a good prompt, isn't it? Technology can certainly be used for good. It doesn't have to be just a distraction. But somehow we need to be able to identify the voice of the Good Shepherd in our lives. In a busy, distracted world where so many people are asking you to follow them, we need to follow him and flee from the stranger. The sheep know the shepherd's voice, just like the blind man who could only hear him stepped out in faith based on the voice of Jesus Christ and his instruction to him. How do you get to know a voice? We were at a birthday party on Friday night. And as birthday parties go at this age and stage of life, the cousins are all hanging out downstairs, 
The adults are upstairs eating cake and chatting. Somebody cries. Oh, that's Carter. I'll go check. Somebody else cries. Oh, that's Bennett. I'll go check. The next cry comes. Oh, yeah, that's definitely Jade. I'll go check. A parent can tell the voice of their child just based on the first millisecond of that cry. You notice that? They know their child's voice so well. Probably because Elsie and I listened to Jade cry and scream for the first year of her life. (laughs) It haunts us in our nightmares. But it's a relational, intimate thing, isn't it? We've heard that cry so many times and responded to it so many times. I'm never going to forget that cry. I know it inside and out. You've got voices in your life when you pick up the phone and you don't look at that caller ID. You know who it is. You know exactly who it is. Apparently, my voice is so similar to my father's, I've been able to trick my mom on the phone a couple times. But other than that, usually you can figure out whose voice it is because you know it well. It's called relationship, conversation, listening, spending time in their company and in their presence, valuing what they have to say, choosing to not multitask while they're talking. You know, multitasking isn't a real thing. It's just the ability to jump from thing to thing faster than the average person. You're not actually doing two things at once. Maybe you think you already know what Jesus is going to say because, well, I grew up in church. I know the rules. I know when to stand, sit down. I know the stories. What else is there for him to really say? Try saying that to your spouse. Why why should we chat? Haven't we chatted enough? I already know what you're going to say anyway. See how that works for your relationship. Don't do it. Well, I... I don't know his voice because he's just not really in my day-to-day life. He's more of this cosmic, deistic personality out there. Like, what does he really have to do with my daily life? Whose fault is that? Because I know for a fact that God wants an intimate relationship with you that he desires it, that he wants fellowship, that you are his dear child. I know that he's knocking on the door and he's wanting you to invite him in. God wants to work practically in your life today. Just invite him in. Prayer is not some ceremonial, ritualistic, traditional, religious thing. It's just talking to God. He's got the hairs of your head numbered. And do you know how much my hair falls out these days and grows back in? You you imagine counting that number once, that's usually what we think about, but can you imagine keeping track of that? Okay, how many hairs fell out today and how many new hairs grew in? Doesn't that just kind of expand on that thought? So don't tell me that God doesn't care about the fact that you lost your wallet. Don't you think you can ask him to help you be productive in your workday tomorrow because you're not good administratively? Of course you can. If he cares about the birds, doesn't he care about what you've got going on later today? We need to see this relationship as more close and intimate and daily and practical and less cosmic and distant and deistic. I was at a funeral on Friday. 
and the minister read from Psalm chapter 23. I'm sure you know it well. I want to read it for you. Just think about how personal this is. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. We sang this song this morning, the goodness of God, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Bible's not about you, but that chapter certainly is. It's about the good shepherd and his love for you personally. Jesus calls his own sheep by name, by name. We've got nine chickens. I don't know their names. The kids know their names. I can't tell them apart. So they have these uh, chicken bracelets for their feet. I didn't know this was a thing. So we got them and I caught every one of those chickens and held it down and put a little pink bracelet, different colors on each of their feet so we could tell them each apart. And my kids know those chickens by name. I don't know them by name. I just say, hey you, and they don't respond. So I don't. Jesus knows his own sheep by name, not because you have some sort of color-coded bracelet. It's, it's a personal relationship. He leads them out. He goes before them. There's a bond there. There's a relationship. There's a trust that Jesus today, because you call me to follow you every day, every morning, when you come to that sheepfold and I have the choice to obey your voice or all of these other shepherds calling for my attention, I choose you because I know that every day you lead me to those green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. And those days that are difficult, where it feels like death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So tomorrow, I'm going to choose you. Because you were with me yesterday and the day before and the day before. And on that is built this close, intimate relationship where we trust the good shepherd. We follow the good shepherd. We don't know the voice of the stranger. We don't respond to the voice that we don't recognize. Verse seven, we're not gonna make it through the whole chapter today. I'm just gonna let you know that. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus is the door. John 14, 6, there's no other way to get to the Father. Did you know that Christianity is the most inclusively exclusive group on the face of the planet? It's inclusive in that, who's it for? Everybody. Whosoever believes. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. 
But it's exclusive in that the only way to be a part of the family of God is through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. There's no other way to get to the Father except through him. It's the most inclusively exclusive group. I heard Louis Giglio say that, and it's going to stick with me for the rest of my life. John chapter 10 and verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Man, that's packed. That's, those are some action-packed verses right there. Isn't it crazy that there's only two options? There's the kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of light. There's one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and there's another who wants to give life and give life to the full. There's no center kingdom. There's no fence rider flock. It's one or the other. Jesus is making it abundantly clear. Following him means life abundant. Listening to the thief means you will experience loss, death, and destruction. Jesus talks about all those who came before him. He's probably referencing all these guys who stood up and said, hey, I'm the Messiah. You should follow me. Claiming deity, claiming to be the one, claiming to lead the revolt and bring the freedom of the people. And how many people chose to follow them only to find out that they were a false Messiah? Why are people fighting for your attention these days? Here's what you're missing. Call now, limited time offer. You need this. I've got to believe that so many celebrities and influencers are trying to build a following not because they want something for their followers, but because they want something from their followers. I tried to figure out this past week how many profiles the average person follows because I wanted to throw out a nice little statistic packaged up so that you could think, wow, I'm, the average person out there is following a lot of people. But you know what? I couldn't find any data on that because you know where Google took me? Nobody cares about who they're following, how many people they're following. You know what they care about? Who's following you? How do I get more followers? How do I break 1,000 subscribers? How do I gain more influence on my platform and my fame? How do I monetize? How do I make fortune out of this? Do you know the number one dream job for middle schoolers right now is to be a YouTuber? To be a social media influencer? Our middle schoolers have this dream of influencing the world on YouTube. That can be done. That can be done for God's glory, can it? But isn't it such a subtle twist how the conversation goes from who are we following to who's following me? Isn't that selfishness? Isn't that pride? Nothing wrong with YouTubers. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants your attention, your devotion, because he wants to take something from you. 
But that's, that's not what Jesus is about. That's not his desire for you. He said, I came that they may have life and have life abundant. Life to the full, life beyond expectation. Jesus came to give you more, more than this life has to offer. Not another product that's going to distract you from your inevitable mortality. Not just a mindfulness practice as a way of, to escape your happy place during life's noise. Jesus came to give you real life and to give you more of it. More than you can expect. More than you can fathom. Look at verse 11. Start to draw this to a close. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he doesn't care for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father that I lay down my life for the sheep. The false shepherd the hired hand, the one who doesn't own the sheep, the one who's fighting for your attention and your devotion and your subscription and your follow because he wants something from you, he's in it for the money, for what he can get from the sheep. But Jesus, on the other hand, lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand wants to make a living off of watching the sheep, but Jesus gives his life for the sheep. Can I ask you to consider who you're following? I can't help but get the social media thing out of my mind because when we talk about following, we used to say at the end of every service, be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss anything. And how many times have you heard that at the end of a YouTube video or a little Instagram pitch? Follow, follow, follow. Think of that celebrity you follow on whatever social media platform is out there these days. Let me ask you, do they know who you are? Do they know your name? Are they willing to sacrifice anything for you? If they don't know you, can they actually care about you? Will they be there to help you in your time of need? Oh, Jennifer Aniston, thank you so much for coming. I really needed you, and I'm glad you saw that little Facebook message I sent. <laughs> or are you a number that represents and contributes to their fame and fortune? I probably shouldn't have referenced a name there. I apologize. I'm not saying all celebrities are evil. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm not saying you should boycott social media. There are a lot of good things to it, a lot of ways to stay connected with family, a lot of ways to preach the gospel. Praise God, it's getting out there. I'm saying hanging on every word that a celebrity speaks or posts is a terrible way to live. They're not your savior. They're human just like you. They sin just like you. They need a savior just like you. They're not capable of loving 10 million followers or subscribers, nor are you. On the flip side, this is the thought I want to end on. Jesus knows you. 
He knows your name. He's got it written in the palm of his hand. It's also in the Lamb's book of life if you trusted him as your Lord and Savior through his death, burial, and resurrection. He knew you. Actually, he formed you in your mother's womb, intricately woven and designed before you were ever born. He knew you. When you come, when you go, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you go by the way, when you return through the gate, he knows you. He gave it all for you. He laid down his life for you. By his wounds, we are healed. He cares deeply for you. He loves you beyond words can express. At the end of the Gospel of John, it says Jesus did so many more things than this, that if they were all to be written, there's not enough scribes, there's not enough paper, there's not enough room in all this world to record Jesus' love for you. You're not just a number. In fact, he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. His chat box is always open and available for you. Hanging on his every word brings life. This is what the courage to become is all about. That's why there's a blank after become because it's Jesus who's got to be the one to tell you, here's who you are. Here's your identity in me. Here's my calling on your life. Here's the role that you're going to play in my mission. The Holy Spirit is who brings that courage to follow Jesus' call. In fact, the Holy Spirit will help you to discern and identify the voice of Jesus Christ. He will illuminate the word of God like somebody flicking a light bulb on like we talked about last week so that you can hear the voice of the good shepherd. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we want to pray that over your lives today. I'm going to invite Andy and I'm going to invite Angela Shannon to come at this point and they're going to close the service uh, with a time of guided prayer. And the reasoning behind this time is so that you have an opportunity to think through and set your heart and mind upon the truth of God's word, to invite the Holy Spirit to speak it into your life so it becomes real to you when you wake up tomorrow morning. Good morning. I'm just going to read some scripture and a prayer. And I encourage you to just quiet your mind. Um, maybe take a few deep breaths. Close your eyes, then you're not looking at me. <laughs> I've been practicing this a little bit um, over the last few years. And it's hard to train your mind to be quiet. Um, my mind wanders a lot, but be gracious with yourself. Just bring your mind back to what God wants to speak to you. I do find it helpful to be quiet, just to allow God's Spirit to speak to my heart. So I'm going to start with the psalm that Alex read at the start, uh, from Psalm 100. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. 
he made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. And from John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a good shepherd. Your intentions toward me are good. Thank you, Jesus, that you are trustworthy. Your words and your ways offer true life. Thank you, Jesus, that you are worth following. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus, teach me what it means to follow you in my everyday. Teach me to listen, to put away distractions. Teach me how to create habits that give space in my life to hear you. Help me to say no to things that you've not asked me to take on. Teach me to recognize your voice. and give me the courage to follow it. Thank you, Jesus, that you are worth following. Your words and your ways offer true life. Thank you, Jesus, that you are trustworthy. Your intentions toward me are good. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.